God, open your word to us now. Let our minds and hearts be receptive to what you would say to us, and by your Holy Spirit, transform us to be more like Christ. And it's in his name that we ask it. Amen. Please be seated. It is an interesting time for our country. As I have talked to various people about the current presidential elections, um, there is some concern about the candidates. Um, I don't want to give any personal, I'm not saying anything about my views right now, right? but I just want to acknowledge that there seems to be some concerns about the candidates. NPR recently did a kind of a mixed tape uh, if you were doing a theme song for the current presidential election, what song would you choose? And they had people send them in. And I'd like to give you some of the top ones that people thought described our current presidential election. I want to be sedated by the Ramones. <laughs> Crazy Train by Ozzy Osbourne. Welcome to My Nightmare by Alice Cooper. Dazed and Confused by Led Zeppelin. Send in the Clowns by Judy Collins. You're Killing Me by Dandy Warhols. Um, if I were going to give a theme song for a ruler that we're going to look at today, that we're starting with, Herod Agrippa, it would actually be a combination it would be a combination of the Imperial March from Star Wars and Bob Marley's Hypocrite. If you could put those two together, that would be Herod Agrippa. If you would, open your Bible to Acts chapter 12. We're going to look at a very interesting guy. Um, he really only gets about a chapter here in Scripture but quite a bit of this chapter, he's a part of it. Herod Agrippa, Acts chapter 12, and verse 1. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. All right, Herod. Um, his grandfather was Herod the Great. And Herod the Great was an egomaniac who was worried about everybody taking his throne, um, he was a brilliant builder architect, but also crazy, killed a lot of people, including Herod Agrippa's dad, Aristobulus. Because Herod the Great feared his own son was going to take his throne, he had his son killed. Herod Agrippa, the grandson, was then sent away to Rome with his mother to study with other Roman aristocracy. And that's where he learned, and it's also where he met um, Caligula and Claudius, both of whom would be Roman emperors. They became childhood friends of his. It's also the reason that when he comes back, he is given power. He doesn't earn it. It's handed over to him by these childhood friends of his. In fact, he will get handed over all of that region, Palestine, the Ten Cities, this whole giant area that before him had been divided up. 
His uncles had ruled small portions. Rome actually used proconsuls over one area. They wouldn't even put a ruler there. Agrippa gets all of it. And he is given a title, king. Caligula actually calls him, you are now the king. And he gets this literal title, you are the king of the Jews. Anybody remember that title? When Jesus is on the cross and they stick king of the Jews up there, well, Agrippa actually was functioning as the king of the Jews. When he was in Jewish lands, he was very Jewish. Because what he was worried about is Caligula was not well-liked, and he was worried that because his property was actually given to him, his kingship was given to him, he could lose it. He wanted to ingratiate himself to the Jews. And so while he was there, he would do whatever it took to be liked by the Jews. We'll get to that in just a second. When he was in Rome, he was very Roman. He'd act just like Romans and whatever it took to get what he needed, including laying violent hands on the Christians. He was going after these Christians because it was pleasing the Jews. At this point, it was no longer like, well, there's Jews and Christians, they're all kind of the same. The separation is really happening. And the Jews are no longer associated with the Christians. This is about AD 42, 43. And so he is going after the Jews, I mean, after the Christians. Verse 2, he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. Hey, this is not James, the brother of Jesus, but you remember James and John from the Gospels, the sons of thunder? He kills one of them by the sword, has him executed. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Hey, this is working. I'm getting them on my side. I'm going to go after Peter. I mean, this is like one of the top guys here. If I can get Peter, he proceeded to arrest Peter. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So they're in the days of unleavened bread. They've got the seven-day period. They have to go past Passover because if he did anything during this period, it would hurt his relationship with the Jews. So he puts him in this prison. There's squads of four soldiers, two to guard, and two that are chained to Peter around the clock. Right? And they're going to guard him for this week until Passover is done, and then most likely he will be tried and executed, just like John, I mean James. Verse 5, so Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made by the church, by, made to God by the church. Here's what happens. We're going to do a lot of scripture this morning. This is not like one of those paragraph things. or This is like the entire chapter we're going through. So go with me all the way through this chapter. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, so he's been in prison for the whole unleavened feast through Passover. It's almost that time. The moment it's over, I'm bringing him out, but before that can happen, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains and sentries before the door regarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in his cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. 
And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. Now this next verse is awesome. Here is humanity. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. I just imagine, for seven days he's been in a prison cell, chained to guards. He's kind of out of it, and this thing is happening. He had to be woken up. You ever been woken up out of a dream and you're going, is this real or is this not real? I'm not sure. And especially this. Hey, imagine you're in prison. You've been chained up for seven days. You're about ready to be executed. And, and you think you woke up. No, this has got to be a dream because my chains just fell off my wrist. This glowing figure is standing with me saying, get your clothes on and follow me out of the cell. And they're walking out together. And you're going, this can't be real. Like, is this real? Is this happening? Keep going. Um, when they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It was opened for them on its own accord, and they went out, and they went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he's still a little bit, like, okay, I know this is happening, but he's still a little bit in disbelief and kind of like, what is going on? But it's like, he's standing out there. Like, this happened. An angel just released me, and I am free. When he came to himself, he said, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many had been, were gathered together and were praying, still doing it. They were praying back in verse 5. They're, they're still doing it. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer, recognizing Peter's voice. So apparently there was a knock, and Peter is you know, saying something. Hey, it's me. Hey, I'm out here. Come open the door. It's Peter. Recognizing the voice. Um, but she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gates. Hey, let me in. Oh my goodness, it's Peter. i got to tell people. And just leaves him out there, knocking on the door. Hey, let me in. They said to her, you are out of your mind. They're praying for Peter right now. They're seeking the Lord to rescue the apostle. He's here. And there's no way he's here. Let's keep praying. <laughs> but she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. Um, please don't worry too much about that. Um, there are things that are said in Scripture that are descriptive. They are just what happened. They are not necessarily prescriptive, telling us what we are to do all the time. Right? There is no evidence in Scripture that every single person has an angel or becomes an angel. They could be saying either one of the things here. Right? The belief that, no, he's died, that's got to be his angel out there, or there's some guardian thing representing him. Right? That's what they believe. It is not biblical. If you want to talk about angels at some point, talk to me. But Peter continued knocking. This poor guy. Would you just open the door? But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison 
And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. This amazing thing that the Lord has done. Go tell them. Like, go tell James, who is running the church, and to the others. Go let them know what has happened. That God has done this. Now, when the day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers. A little understatement there. There was no little disturbance over the soldiers about what had become of Peter, and you'll see why and as we keep reading. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. There is an unspoken battle going on in this chapter between the kingdom of the earth and the visible king, Herod, who is king of the Jews and has power to do what he wants, and the kingdom of God that is unseen. And right here, Herod is recovering from a loss in the battle. He was going to execute one of the pillars of the church, and he did everything he could to protect him, and yet he's gone. But it's not over. Keep reading with me. And by the way, verse 20 very likely takes place up to a year later. However, Luke, under the inspiration of the Spirit, sees these events connected, and he puts them right after each other. Now, Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, which is why that sounds so abrupt. Like, they had nothing to do with this. The people of Tyre and Sidon did not release Peter. However, there was a conflict going on with the nations of Tyre and Sidon. And they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. Herod wins. He is the king of the Jews and the king of this region, and there's this uprising, but he wins. And he's about to celebrate. On an appointed day, Herod put on royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, And before we continue, Josephus, a first-century historian, describes this. He describes Agrippa in this moment, and he describes him as wearing these robes that are covered in shiny material so that when the sun reflects off them, he glows. And he describes him in a similar fashion as to what happens next. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. There is a battle going on between the kingdom of the earth, one of them, and the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of the earth is losing. He cannot keep Peter. He cannot even save his own life. Because no matter how powerful Herod looks, no matter what he can say, do this and the soldiers will do that. Kill this person and that person will die. When God steps in, the king, the real king, has more power than any kingdom on the earth. And it's what you see in this passage. I want to give you an example from history. 
of the power of the kingdom of God. Hey, when we say the kingdom of God, we're referring to his reign. We're not referring to like a castle that sits somewhere on the earth that you can go find and there's God's castle sitting there and you can go into it. It is his rule and reign. And what I want to give you is an example of this that is not dependent on a miracle in Scripture. Because as believers, we can all look at the Scripture and go, wow, I mean, look at what God is doing. But I want to give you a different example of the power of this king on the earth. This is a quote from Mark Twain. He's an agnostic. He's a self-professed skeptic. This was in 1899, printed in Harper's Magazine. The Egyptian, Babylonian, and the Persian rose, filled the planet with sound and splendor, then faded to dream stuff and passed away. The Greek and Roman followed, made a vast noise, and they are gone. Other peoples have sprung up and held their torch high for a time, but it burned out, and they sit in twilight now or have vanished. The Jew saw them all, beat them all, and is now what he always was, exhibiting no decadence, no infirmities of age, no weakening of his parts, no slowing of his energies, no dulling of his alert and aggressive mind. All things are mortal but the Jew. All other forces pass, but he remains. What is the secret of his immortality? The kingdom of God. These were God's people. And what you see with this, there is no other nation that has been exiled multiple times from their land, and yet they are back in their land. No other nation that has been defeated in war multiple times, over and over and over again, and retains the same identity even today. Why? Because the Bible says they're not, he's, God's not done with them. These are still his people. That is a historical thing that even, hey, Blaise Pascal was speaking to King Louis XIV of France, who wanted to know why, what miracle can you show me? What proof can you give me that God is real? And this really simple line is recorded. Why the Jews, your majesty, the Jews. There is no other explanation for their continued existence. Now, there are so many things that we could talk about seeing the power of the kingdom. But this, they are the people that God said, I'm going to give you a land in the Abrahamic covenants. They are still in the land. Even after being out of it, For hundreds of years, they are still in the land today because God is stronger than every kingdom that has come along. Babylonians, Persians, Greeks, Romans, the Ottoman Empire, it doesn't matter. He is stronger. That is the king that we serve. But here's the other part of this passage. Go back into Acts Acts 12. Go to verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him 
was made to God by the church. I want to make a profound statement that may not sound all that profound to you. That kingdom, there is only one way we access it. Prayer. All the power that is part of that kingdom, that reign and rule of God, it comes into our life either because he just graciously puts it there or by the prayers of his people. And the way this is set up, why is Peter released? Because the church is praying. That's how this is set up. Peter gets arrested and put in prison, and then Luke specifically, but earnest prayer was made for him. And then we get this story of this magnificent release that happens. Because the power of prayer is the release of the power of the kingdom into the life of God's people. That is prayer. So if you happen to watch the college basketball championship, you got to see an ending that is considered like, you know, one of the best endings ever that was replayed over and over and over and over again because with five seconds left in the game, North Carolina makes a three-point shot and ties the game. And then at 4.7 seconds, Chris Jenkins makes a game-winning three-point shot to actually win, and that was just replayed over and over and over and over again, including on radio broadcasts. I was listening to a radio broadcast that was showing how excited the announcers were. And so they, they played, like, listen to this, and they played TNT, and they played ESPN, they were even playing, they played a Spanish one. I couldn't understand it, but you could hear the excitement in their voice about what just happened. They played a German one about how excited it was. And so this guy is just playing clip after clip of these things. And then he goes, and one of the most amazing things was what you saw on the face of the Villanova cheerleaders when they saw what happened. Listen to this. And then he played it. Let that sink in. What we saw on the face of the cheerleaders. Listen to this. And I wanted to call in and say, do you know we can't see anything? This is a radio. Like, we can't see the face of the cheerleaders through the radio. You cannot access the kingdom of God by sight by might, by anything but prayer. It is where God works through his people, prayer. Now, I would like to get a show of hands. How many of you would say, be careful about my choice of words, would say prayer is important? Just raise your hand. Okay. I could probably keep going and say, you think prayer is powerful, or you think God wants us to pray, and we get all these hands up. I don't want you to raise your hands. How many of you struggle with prayer? A consistent, regular prayer life where you are seeking God and asking God to work. 
I would bet that the hands going up would be a whole lot less right now. We did it. That we struggle with this. Here's the truth. The kingdom of God and the power of the king is greater than any earthly power. This is also true. The way in which God works is either by just his grace or, James says, you have not because you ask not, or through the prayers of his people. It's what you see here in Acts. In fact, you see it all the way through Acts. When they are waiting for the Spirit to come, you know what they're doing? They're praying. When they want to send out the apostles, they're praying. When the widows aren't being fed, and the, the apostles say, okay, we need to get some deacons going to feed these people because we need to be preaching the word and praying. Just two things. Like, you can't take us away from praying and preaching the word. It is all throughout. They are praying. If you go into the ministry of Jesus, you will see Jesus praying over and over again. Every major episode going on in his life, he's praying. The Son of God is praying. And it's the regular thing in his life. Prayer is the way in which God brings the power of the kingdom into the lives of his people, to the culture around us even. And yet we struggle with prayer. I want to suggest a couple of reasons. And that this passage at least speaks to some of them. Now you can see if you relate to any of this. I think part of the reason that we struggle with prayer is we don't really think it does much. And that's either because we think God is sovereign and is just going to do what he wants anyway, so why should I pray? Or because you've prayed before and you think God really hasn't answered there, it just feels like I'm in a room talking to walls and so I'm not going to do this. I'll do it when I'm in church, I'll do it with my kids, but I'm not going to really do much because I don't think it actually works. Along with that, but I think tied into it, we're just too busy. We get to the end of our day, and even if we want to, we may have good intentions, but we never got around to it. We had so much going on, and like by the time we get done with work and kids and meals and the house and whatever else it is, we're tired, and we just kind of need to go blah on the couch. Maybe it's because we don't really know how prayer works. I want to tell you a couple truths about prayer, and I want to see if it helps at all. Uh, You already got one truth. The power of the kingdom comes through prayer. Uh, Here's a couple other ones. A couple of truths about prayer. Number one, God will not always answer your prayer in the way that you want it answered. But it doesn't mean he doesn't answer it. At the beginning of this chapter, James dies. I guarantee you John was praying for him. I guarantee you the church was praying for him. He was a big shot in the early church. This is an apostle. And yet, he dies. But his death leads to a whole bunch of really amazing things in the kingdom of God, just like the death of Stephen. All of you remember... Jim Elliot, very famous name. Um, Jim Elliot's known for a couple of different things, but this is a particular prayer of his that is not as well known, and I want to read the prayer to you. 
Father, make of me a crisis man. Bring those I contact to decision. Let me not be a milepost on a single road. Make me a fork that men must turn one way or another on facing Christ in me. This man dies before he can ever hardly do anything. And yet, this prayer was answered. Do you know how many lives have been impacted by Jim Elliott? How many people have become missionaries because of him? How many people have come to the Lord because they became missionaries because of him? This was his prayer. It was not answered in the way that he thought it would be. He was not the one that would stand as this thing and make men and women have to choose. But his life became this even after death. God answers our prayers. It may not always be in the way we want it to be, but it doesn't mean the power of the kingdom is not coming through. Number two, sometimes the prayer is answered in the last moment. Don't give up. You see it with Peter. I mean, this church has been praying the whole time. And yet, it's the very last moment. I even wonder if that's part of the reason that Peter is like so, I can't believe this is even happening. Because he's already been in jail for seven days. And like in the beginning, he's going, all right, come on, God. Come on, God. Day number two, come on, Lord, I know you can still do this. Day number three, come on, God, I know you can still do this. Day number seven, it's over. I mean, if God was going to do this, he was going to do this. And like, I'm dying tomorrow. And yet in that last moment, God steps in. Sometimes prayer is not answered until the last moment. Don't give up. You're not alone if you're praying and praying and praying, but the answer isn't there yet. Keep going. It happened in the scriptures. Number three, sometimes I think we're not even aware that the prayer is being answered. Much like Peter. I think sometimes we've been praying for something and God is actually answering the prayer, but we are unaware that the answer is even there because it's different from what we thought it would be. Whether it happened later or it took a totally different form, but if we will pray and ask God very specifically and yet be open to the way in which God may want to answer a prayer that is different from what we are thinking. Peter and the church didn't, they weren't expecting this. Enough so that they're going, no way, that can't be the prayer. I mean, no, he can't be there. That leads me to the last one. Number one thing, I want you to hear this. Your belief or lack of does not have to hinder God from answering the prayer. You may be approaching prayer with skepticism. Go for it. Pray anyway. Because this house church, they didn't believe the prayer they were praying. They are asking for Peter to be rescued, and when he is rescued, they're going, you're out of your mind. Wait a minute, isn't this what you're praying for? And yet when it happens, they don't believe it. Do not let your questions. Maybe you were like this. Maybe you're going, you know what? I kind of believe and I kind of don't. Pray anyway. 
Maybe you're going, I mostly believe, but I kind of don't over here. Pray anyway. Maybe you're going, I believe in God, but I don't know if he answers my prayers. Pray anyway. Don't let that stand in the way of seeking him. Because our doubts do not have to hinder the king from exercising the power of the kingdom. I love this story. And, you know, if you don't know this about me yet, I, I really do prefer actual stories. Um, there's a whole lot of things out there that, like, there'll be these very vague things of, there was this man, and he did this and did this, and it's not real. It was just made up to make a point. I just think there's so many amazing stories out there of real people doing real things. I want to tell them. This is... Um, I just blinked on Dr. Helen. Uh, Helen, uh, I forgot, I'll have to tell, I forgot her name. I should have written her name in here. Dang it. Um, but she was a doctor in the Congo, and there was a point where a woman gave birth to a premature baby, and the woman died. And the way they would keep these babies warm is they'd put them in boxes, they'd have all of this, like, wool and things around them, but they used uh, water bottles and made out of a, a leather kind of thing. And they would use these and they'd fill those up and they would keep them by the baby to keep them warm. Well, they had one and while one of the girls was going to fill it, it burst. So they did their best to keep the baby by the fire. They're praying and everything. And the next day at a prayer meeting, a bunch of kids would come and they would pray with her. And so she told them about what was going on with this baby. And now I'm just going to read. This is her account, her personal account. During the prayer time, one 10-year-old girl, Ruth, prayed with the usual blunt consciousness of our African children. Please, God, she prayed, send us a water bottle. It'll be no good tomorrow, God. The baby will be dead. So please send it this afternoon. Now, this is her response. I gasped inwardly at the audacity of the prayer. And then she added... While you're about it, this is the little girl, would you please send a dolly for the little girl so she'll know that you really love her? As often with children's prayers, I was put on the spot. Can I honestly say amen? I just did not believe God could do this. Oh yes, I know that he can do everything. Are you there? I know that he can do everything. The Bible says so, but there are limits, aren't there? The only way God could answer this particular prayer would be by sending a parcel from the homeland. I had been in Africa almost four years, and I had never received anything from home. Anyway, if anyone did send a parcel, who would put a hot water bottle in it? We live on the equator. <laughs> Halfway through the afternoon, while I was teaching in the nurse's training school, a message was sent that there was a car at my front door. By the time that I reached home, the car had gone, but there on the veranda was a large 22-pound parcel. I felt tears prickling my eyes. I could not open the parcel alone, so I sent for the orphanage children. Together, we pulled off the string and we carefully undid each knot. We, unfolded, we folded the paper, taking care not to tear it unduly, and excitement was mounting. Some 30 or 40 pairs of eyes were focused on this large cardboard box. From the top, I lifted out brightly colored knitted jerseys. Eyes sparkled as I gave them out. And then there were knitted bandages for the leprosy patients, and the children began to look a little bored. Next came a box of mixed raisins. 
That would make a nice batch of buns for the weekend. As I put my hand in again, I felt the, could it really be? And I gasped and I pulled it out, a brand new rubber hot water bottle. And I cried. I had not, God, I had not asked God to send it. I had not truly believed that he could. Ruth was in the front row of the children, and she rushed forward, crying out, if God has sent the bottle, he must have sent the dolly too. And rummaging down to the bottom of the box, she pulled out a small, beautiful dressed dolly, and her eyes shone. She had not doubted, I had. Looking up at me, she said, can I go over with you? I want to give this doll to the little girl so that she will know Jesus really loves her. Don't let your doubts stop you from seeking God. Sometimes others are believing. Sometimes God in his graciousness will just respond. It may not always be how we want it to be. It may not be in the time that we want it to be. But God does answer prayer. And the power of the kingdom comes through that. We are called to be a praying people, seeking the king, letting the kingdom of God work in our midst. A praying people. I don't know what happened today. I know that between Sunday and Wednesday, there was an 80 to 100% chance of rain. And Trey got up and said, pray. And many of us prayed. And it's beautiful weather. Was that God? I don't know, but I'm not taking the chance. I prayed. This church, this church was started on prayer. My wife just stepped out because they're going to be doing the children's choir. But when this church started back in April of 2012, which is not when it started, but it's when we started on the path, we were scared out of our minds. We had no desire. We had nothing about planting a church. But after a month of prayer, this is where God led. And then God took a few families and multiplied them into this. Because prayer really does work. I want to give you a couple more theme songs for the presidential race. And there's a real reason for it. Here's a few more theme songs, okay? Presidential race this year. You can see if you relate at all. The times they are a-changing. Bob Dylan. Highway to Hell. ACDC. <laughs> Who let the dogs out? <laughs> I, I think, I, wait, I would, if I say that, I, never, I can't say that because it'll give you some personal information on me. I'm just going to say the title. It's the end of the world as we know it. <laughs> but you know what the answer is? You know what the biblical answer is? Pray. Pray. Not stick our heads in the sand, not refuse to vote because we don't like any of the candidates. It doesn't matter, church, who wins. We are called to pray because the kingdom of God 
is more powerful than any president who comes into the office of the United States. We are called to pray for our country, for our church, for our families. We are called to pray. It is the power of God on the earth. Let's be a praying people. Through all of our doubts and all of our questions, all of our busyness, a faithful praying people. Let's pray. Almighty God, our King, our Father, the one with all power, Lord, instill in us, your people, a desire to earnestly pray, to seek your face, to lift up our family, our neighborhoods, our culture, our church. Lord, help us to be passionate people who know you and who seek you. Lord God, thank you that you hear the prayers of your people. Give us eyes to see how you respond. We ask it in Jesus' holy name. Amen.